With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily. We're heading into the weekend, traditionally a time for rest and recuperation, but not when you've got a daily Premier League podcast to make as we're heading into the sharp end of the season. Loads to go through on today's show with pretty much every kick of the ball having some kind of significance somewhere in the various competitions that involve Premier League clubs right now. Two of those clubs on today's podcast were in European action last night, with West Ham making their way into the quarterfinals of the Europa League for the first time since 1981, and Leicester City looking to grab their first ever piece of European silverware with the Europa Conference. Both worked their way through their respective ties last night into the quarterfinals, and we'll look back at those games shortly. Also, there was a bit of a shock in the Premier League last night. I'm not talking about Everton beating Newcastle. I'm talking about Alex Awobi scoring for Everton. That was a real shocker. What that means for the race at the bottom of the table, we'll discuss in a bit. And we'll preview the weekend's action with Who Knows Wins as well. Who Knows Wins is a new sports game where mates, families and colleagues put their wits against each other for real money. We play at Football Social Daily, we play the pick 10 each week where we pick the results of 10 significant games from the weekend for a chance of winning a £6,000 jackpot by seeing if we can predict more results correct than anyone else. You don't have to get all 10 right, you just have to do better than other people in the league. We'll go over some of our selections on today's podcast and if you want to play along with Who Knows Wins, you can get the app in the App Store and via Google Play, register to win, see if you can do better than myself or Marley or Niall, who are with me on today's podcast. How are we doing, boys? I'm good, thanks, Jim. My neck hurts a little bit after strapping myself to a goalpost at Goodison <laughs> Park last night, but I'm, uh, I'm fine nonetheless. The, the thing about that is I couldn't quite work out what he was protesting against. His T-shirt said, Stop the Oil. So was it an anti-war protest about Russian oil? Was he a climate change protester? If you're going to go to that much effort, you need to be clearer about what you're standing for, I think. Well, I want to know what cable ties he was using because yeah. the look on that geezer's face and the size of the <laughs> bolt cutters that they had to bring out to cut it off. How, how quick did he do it as well? How quick did he manage to get onto the pitch and get his neck tied with the cable tie himself? He must have been practising that, like down his local recreation park, running on Sunday league games and just like <laughs> zip-tying himself to the goalpost to be that, that swift at it. I just thought it was quite funny because he did look like John Lennon. <laughs> He <laughs> did look like a bit of a spotty John Lennon. Anyway, we should be more concerned with what went on on the pitch because it was Everton 1, it was Newcastle 0. Thanks to that delay in the game because of the guy zip-tying himself to the goalpost, it went well into extra time and Everton needed every second of it to get the win last night. Marley, wasn't the best result for you boys. Is it enough to pull you back into that mire of relegation battle or do you think that Eddie Howe's kind of done enough now that relegation isn't really a worry uh i, I hope not uh, my initial sort of feeling of it is that we, we should be all right i don't think we've done enough right now but um I, I do think we'll be we'll be okay um 
I'm not feeling that impending, oh Christ, here we go, we're going to get sucked back into this, because it was, I think people have got to remember, I mean, there's been a hell of a lot of overreaction from the Newcastle fan base on social media to this defeat to Everton, um, because the the performance wasn't the best, but you've got to remember, the the team's played four games in, in 11 days, I think it is, um, three of them have been away, Um and at some point, you're not going to look as sharp as what you once did. And, you know, we we did look... We, we were excellent against Chelsea. We were very good um, against Brighton. Um, we were we were really good against Southampton. Um, but obviously, you know, players are going to get tired. I mean, we were missing three at the weekend through illness and slight injury against Chelsea. Um, and it just sort of... It sort of reminded me that we're... You know, the, the, you're putting through... You're putting your squad through a hell of a lot of... Um, a lot of physical toll um, to play four games in in ten or eleven days, or whatever it's been. So, you know, it it didn't really surprise me that we didn't win, but um, it, it's obviously still got into to losing the ninety ninth minute because some tosser came on and strapped himself to a post, which has literally never been seen in in Premier League history. Um, but I don't know. Do you know which which end was it that he uh, that he strapped himself to the post? Was it Newcastle's end or was it Everton's end? I think it was the Everton end because there was a, an Evertonian that ran out of the crowd and tried to chin him whilst he was being restrained <laughs> by the stewards. So I'm not sure that it was the Newcastle end. Well, there you go. That speaks of, of Asmir Begovic's um, reaction time that he managed to get on, pull out a, a cable tie from his post and still managed to strap himself before the uh, to the post before anybody even realised. But yeah, we, sh- we should have been better. But yeah, going to to lose it in the ninety ninth minute—that's uh, that's a bit of a joke, especially to one of the worst players who gets regular game time in the Premier League. But there we go, can't have everything. You mentioned that the Newcastle schedule has been tight over the last couple of weeks. It looks really tight for some teams now. That fixture congestion is really coming into play. I think Liverpool have got a game pretty much every three days for the rest of the season if they go all the way in their respective competitions. So it's going to be tough for a lot of teams at the moment. I mean, no, there wasn't much quality on display last night for either team. Is that part of why that fixture congestion, the long battling season at the wrong end of the table, it's just starting to take the toll on players from Everton and Newcastle and other teams that have been involved as well. Yeah, perhaps. I think that in general, the fact that there was a lack of quality on show last night is because there's a lack of quality amongst the players that you saw on the pitch. And that's not because Newcastle haven't been playing well, because Marley's right, they have. I just think they've ran out of steam a little bit. And I think, surprisingly, some people, because of the form that Newcastle were in, expected them to go on and beat Everton and almost sort of go unbeaten between now and the end of the season. just wasn't ever going to happen. So, you know, we have to tip our hat to Eddie Howe for the job he's done since he's gone in there. I think he arrived at Newcastle and they were on five points in second bottom. And now they look like they could finish comfortably mid-table, even with defeat to Everton last night. And I think that it just shows there's still a lot of work to be done at Newcastle United for them to sort of establish themselves in the top half of the table, which is no doubt where they'll want to be in the next two or three years at, at the very least. But in terms of Everton, I just don't think they've got much quality in general. I think, you know, they've got a couple of decent players. Richarlison's good. Calvert-Lewin's good, um, but the rest of them have left a lot to be desired this term. In terms of the you know, the fixture scheduling, we always mention it on the podcast, don't we, about how there's so many games, etc, etc. But I don't think that was a factor as to why the game wasn't that great last night. Um, but we did say on yesterday's podcast that Everton maybe just needed something, whether that be an early goal or someone getting stuck in. 
in the end, it was the opposite. They they had someone sent off. They had someone run onto the pitch and strap themselves to the post. But the way they won that game last night, as Marley says, approaching the 100th minute, a last minute strike from Alex Awobi, who's had no end of stick and, again, has been poor, in front of the Everton fans, the noise... You know, Goodison Park just lifted off. The fans were going absolutely mental. I think Frank Lampard even broke his hand in the celebrations uh, uh, for the yeah, goal, which just tells you exactly what it means to Everton. Um, the atmosphere at Goodison after they had scored that was brilliant. But we said yesterday that they, they needed something. They needed a lift. And winning a game like that in such a fashion, maybe that is the catalyst in the boost they need to kick on and try and steer clear of relegation. Um, it wasn't the best game, you know, from minute one to the final minute. But, uh, you know, if you're an Evertonian, that was certainly worth waiting for. Crucial three points for them. It was a gritty performance from Everton, something they've lacked in recent weeks. They got stuck in defensively. And when the goal went in, as you said, Niall, the celebrations were wild. It was as if they'd won the league, let alone potentially secured safety. I mean, you say... Marley that Newcastle are probably safe you don't really feel panicked at the moment how about Everton because they're now four points above Burnley who are the other realistically the other team that could go down here but now no games in hand is that going to be enough or is it just too early to make that call at the moment this is only one win for Everton after all at the end of a terrible run yeah I think um what what Everton? This, this isn't me just being bitter or you know, <laughs> sort of reacting to us getting beat. You've got to, they've got to remember Everton were crap last night. They were they were poor. Um, Newcastle were poor, but Everton didn't create anything until that that, that last minute. And that's fair enough. That's what they needed. Um, and the, you you know you only need to score one goal to score to win a game, and that's what they did. But the performance was still way off any team that that looks like winning. You know, too many more games between now and the end of the season, um, but you, you don't you don't need to you you just need to be better than three teams below you, and that's what it's been about for Everton for the last two or three weeks, or maybe four or five weeks, or maybe even longer. I don't know, um, but you know, it's um, you need when you're on a crap run like they they've been, you need one to bounce in off someone's arse or someone an activist to to strap himself to a post so you can get an extra fourteen minutes at the end of the game and then you can go and win it. So. And they've still got that hugely hellish uh, fixture run to come. Um, so it was even more important that they that they won last night because I think did I say in yesterday's podcast it was, you know, if you're not going to beat someone like Newcastle, who are you going to look at and say, yeah, we'll beat them in, in a few weeks' time? Because they've only got a rearranged game against Watford, um, and I think Crystal Palace coming up as well. That are other teams anywhere sort of near them, especially Watford. Obviously, is the obvious one, but. You know, um, yeah, there's there's still work to be done for Everton. I, you know, seeing the fans online last night giving Newcastle stick as if as if they'd stayed up for for good, and it was like you've still got twelve, uh, eleven games to go, and all of the top top six to play. So if Watford win, you know, one game more than you and then beat you, you know, there's still work to do. But uh, you know, as for last night, any any win that pushes Burnley one step closer to relegation is is fine by my <laughs> by in my book. Let's forget about the relegation battle for a second and talk about the most important game in English football history as the biggest club in London overcame one of the most successful teams in European history or in the Europa Club, Europa League history rather in Sevilla. Final score, West Ham 2, Sevilla 0. It sees West Ham travel to the quarterfinals of the Europa League for the first time since 1981, beating Sevilla on the way. Can the Hammers start dreaming now? 
Niall. When you look at the other teams in the Europa League, they've got a chance, haven't they? Even though there's still some pretty decent teams left in, they've got a chance to get into that final. Yeah, they've got a chance because they're one of eight teams left. That's that's why they've got a chance. <laughs> I like those odds. Because <laughs> if you look at the teams that are still... I mean, we're recording this on Friday morning. The draw is going to be made in about two hours from now. So I think it's about midday or 1pm UK time. So we're recording this Friday mm. morning. So we don't actually know just yet who West Ham are going to come up against. But it's any one of Atalanta... Barcelona, Braga, Frankfurt, Leipzig, Lyon or Rangers. Um, and there are a few teams that you'd rather I, pick there. Braga, I just want to see them play Barcelona. They have to play Barcelona. Yeah. West Ham, Barcelona, Atalanta are <laughs> a very good side. They made it real tough for Manchester United in the Champions League group stages this season. And Leipzig, they're no mugs as well. I'm sure they'll be they'll be keen to, to show what they're capable of, albeit they got a bye against Spartak Moscow through to the quarterfinals because the Russian team have been withdrawn from the competition for obvious reasons. So... Yeah, West Ham do have a chance, absolutely. But, you know, those are the moments that football fans lived for last night. Um, you know, a great moment for Andrei Yarmolenko to score as well. You know, the, the winning goal for West Ham. And to come from behind on aggregate against a side like Sevilla, who have such pedigree in the competition, as you mentioned, Jim, is brilliant for West Ham United. And we don't see West Ham in Europe. West Ham aren't a European club traditionally, at least not in my lifetime. Maybe they were... 30, 40 years ago, but not not since I've been watching football have West Ham ever been in the European conversation. So, yes, you can dream and believe and hope, and, and those are all healthy things to have as a football fan. I remember speaking to you, Jim, a few years ago on this podcast, asking you what your favourite moment was as a West Ham fan in the last 20 years, and you say getting to the FA Cup final against Liverpool. You know, it's not often that sides like West Ham are in the position that they're in, to be chasing the top four for the last two seasons to be in cup competitions and go deep into them. West Ham don't do that. West Ham normally kind of just hang around the mid-table region and sometimes will make a tilt for the top half. They don't go well in cups. They don't go to Europe. So I think it's brilliant that the club are, and the fans are capitalising on this moment that they find themselves in. So fair play to West Ham. Um, keep dreaming. Why not? There was a certain irony with Jan Milenko scoring the winner and Suchek scoring the other goal last night because they're two players that have been much maligned by West Ham fans, much criticised by West Ham fans this season. Jan Milenko for not playing much yet, taking a big wage. Thomas Suchek for supposedly not being able to pass the ball or playing that well this season. But personally, I think that's a misunderstanding of what he brings to the team. But anyway, it's nice that those two got on the score sheet for the game. West Ham were quite wasteful in the match itself, Marley. But other than that, it was a pretty professional, solid performance. And that seems like it's become a bit of a hallmark of West Ham under David Moyes. The new West Ham way is solid, professional, get the job done. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, Moyes is pragmatic hammers. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it is. I think that's what Moyes does though, isn't it? You know, he, he makes, you think about his, his, his Everton team, you know, they, were, they weren't swashbuckling and, and, you know, all you know, free-flowing attacking football. They were hard to beat and they, they would batter you off the pitch. Like Fellaini and Cahill up front were, were an absolute handful for everyone. I thought one of the standout performances last night was Ariola in goal, who made some great saves early on for West Ham Marley. Now, my concern with Ariola is there was a suggestion that he won't be signed on a permanent deal after this loan finishes, although that is an option. Instead, the club are looking at Sam Johnson at... West Brom is available on a free transfer. We'd have much cheaper wages. Does that say something about the ambition of West Ham as a football club? That You've got this great player with a potential to sign, but they're looking elsewhere for a cheaper option, despite the fact that there's this experience of success on the pitch in the Premier League and in the cup competitions. It kind of 
suggests there's a bit of a unwillingness to spend the money that's needed to kick on there, doesn't it? Um, you, you can probably look at it like that, but I wouldn't personally. I, I, I think with thing is, right, Ariola has been been good, um, but he hasn't been first choice, has he? He's been he's played in the cup competitions. That's pretty much it. Um, so on that, like, he, he hasn't won the race with Fabianski to be number one. Uh, Fabianski plays all the league games um, and is is ultimately first choice goalkeeper. So why would you bring in? A guy on Ariola's gonna have decent wages, having been where he's been in his career. He's gonna have a, a decent wedge. So, you know, if he's not first choice, why pay that? Why pay that wage? And if you can get Sam Johnston on a free, and he can be number one next season, um, and push for England recognition as Rabian, as Fabianski goes to like age thirty six, thirty seven, whatever he is now. So, is it time to replace him? And if you can, if you can replace a guy for free with an English fella as well, and it helps the the homegrown quota and all the rest of it. Um, then I, th- I think that's decent business because Ariola will probably go out and then he'll go on loan somewhere next season. Fulham might take him again if when Fulham come up and fight relegation and spend a load of money again, they might take him back like they did um, did last season. So um, Ariola will be somewhere else, probably in the Premier League next year. But I think if if you can get a replacement for free rather than pay big money in wages and a transfer fee, then then why not do it? I've got to say, I quite fancied signing Anthony Martial when he was on his way out from Manchester United. I thought he'd be a nice fit for West Ham, maybe solve our striker crisis. But watching him last night and in the first leg looked incredibly disappointing. So might have dodged a bullet there and Sevilla took that bullet for us. But West Ham through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. The draw, as Niall said, is a little bit later. Also, the draw for the Europa League conferences later. And Leicester City will be in the mix there. We'll talk about their game against Wren next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Next up, we're going to be talking about Leicester City, who lost to Wren last night. The score was 2-1, but they go through an aggregate 2-3 to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Looked like a tough tie for Leicester City this one, Niall. Away from home, they had the two-goal lead, but there was a question mark as to whether that would be enough. It was enough in the end, but it wasn't all plain sailing. There would have been some nerves on that Fox's bench last night. Yeah, definitely, and the atmosphere was excellent inside Wren Stadium last night. They're a good side in Ligue 1. They score a lot of goals and they did score two last night and there were some nervous 
faces in and amongst the Foxes fan base that travelled uh, to northern France to follow their team. But they did eventually get the job done. And I think that that's kind of a hallmark of Leicester City's season, really, is is that they won the first leg but lost the second leg. Uh, but they've done just about enough to get by. And it feels like that's kind of been the story of Leicester City's season. They've done just about enough to get by. At the moment, they're mid-table in the Premier League on 33 points. They play Brentford at the weekend, who are three points behind them that game's on Sunday and you know if Brentford beat them then they're level on points with Brentford I'll be speaking to two former Leicester players Dean Hammond and Matty Fryer on the dugout which comes out later today about Leicester's season and whether the fact that Brentford and Leicester because they're so close to each other in the table does that tell us more about Leicester or Brentford in their first season in the Premier League I think it's an interesting question as those two sides prepare to meet but obviously Leicester are through which is great news for them and I think that that becomes their focus of the season now the Europa Conference League it has to be because they're not getting into Europe any other way but the story has to be Wesley Fofana he broke his leg in July against Villarreal it was a really poor tackle which I was in the ground at the time and I, I didn't think it was much I thought it was an innocuous tackle I was absolutely wrong it, it was a nasty tackle and um, you know this is a young player who was a key part to Leicester's success last season when they finished fifth in the Premier League for him to be 21 and to be the foil to experienced players like Johnny Evans and someone older than him like Shagla Soyuncu and for them to be without Fafana and look worse players for want of a better term particularly Soyuncu I think that says a lot about him so I'm really happy for him that he's back and the fact that he scored as well from a header on his first start for seven months his first appearance of the season excellent stuff and he's got such a career ahead of him Wesley Fafana he's just signed a new deal as well we spoke about it on the podcast earlier this week he's signed up till 2027 so you know you've got a player there who's 21 who's full of confidence who's had a major setback but yet has already been a key part of the squad in recent seasons I think this is great news for Leicester we'll talk more about that Leicester City Brentford game in a bit in our who knows wins predictions but Marley we've taken the mick out of the Europa Conference but here they are in the quarterfinals it is still only the Europa Conference but when you look at it in terms of the club's history it is progression they've won the Premier League they've won the FA Cup this is their first potential piece of European silverware so winning it now you get to this stage you kind of look at it and go well if they do go on and win it that's a big moment isn't it yeah it's a big moment um as, as Niall said you know this is their only real chance to qualify for Europe next season if they win this I think you get into the Europa League uh, as the reigning winners of the of the Conference League um, but I mean, one of the things I always like about it is is seeing managers change towards it. You know, when when uh, Leicester were were dumped into it, Rogers is there going, I literally, I don't know what it is, I don't know what this tournament is, which was a blatant lie. Because how can a football manager not know what a tournament in football is? Um, yeah, to be fair, I think what he meant was he wasn't he doesn't know the rules and he wasn't concentrating on it because he was concentrating on it's the still Europa football. League. You don't play with a ball that's on fire. Like, it's still... <laughs> no, oh, I get that. That's mean, what they should have the done. permutations of the competition. <laughs> I would have loved it. I mean, there would be so much more interest in the Europa Conference if they played with a ball that was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, big, big miss by, big miss by UEFA for that. It will be good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Leicester are, Leicester are doing well and they are one of the, one of the, the potential winners of it, you know. Um, there's some all right, look inside, in it? You know, Roma are in it, who probably the biggest name left in it, but they've they've stunk the place out to get through the last two rounds. Um, they scraped through against Vitesse last night with a, a last-minute Tammy Abraham goal to take them through an aggregate, and uh, 
their their style of play is is poor. Um, they're, they're not they're not any good. They're, it, it, in typical Mourinho fashion, the best part of that club is listening to Mourinho's meltdowns after the game. Um, and the same was last night. He somehow had to go at Maurizio Sarri for some reason. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Leicester Leicester can go on and win this tournament, and I think it would be it would be good for them. You know, I've, the the obvious thing is. Um, is the qualification for the Europa League next season, and the 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 other thing is just getting used to winning and winning in Europe as well, because you know it's it's something that you have to balance when you're in Europe. Playing Thursday nights, playing Sunday nights, they've done it for a few years now, but you know more experience can be can be good enough, and then hopefully they can strengthen in the summer and sort of refocus and see what went wrong this season, tie a couple of players down to to longer term deals like Tielemans and. Um, you know, possibly new deals for Vardy and Barnes or whoever, but you know, um, they they should be trying to win this tournament, in in my opinion. Uh, I I don't think it makes any sense to do anything other than that. Draw later for the Europa Conference and the Europa League. I'm sure it'll be covered at some point over the weekend on Football Social Daily, as and when those shows drop. Uh, let's talk about some of the games that are coming up, though. We'll do the weekend preview in a moment, but there is a game tonight as well. Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Leeds United. Now, Leeds facing Wolves tonight in a game that can keep Wolves' top four dreams just about alive, and Leeds' dreams of staying out of the bottom three alive top as well, four. potentially. Huh? They're, they're kind of, it can just about happen. I know it's a big ask. So, top six, up. definitely. Right. I mean, they're in eighth at the moment, aren't they? I think. You are in a very positive, optimistic mood this morning. It's sunny in Manchester. To be fair, they're not that far off. They're not far well, off. Let's, let's look at less optimistic things. Let's look at Leeds United because Jesse Marsh has come in. He won a game against Norwich City but can you really see that he's having much of an impact yet Niall? Well I watched the Aston Villa game last week and I actually thought in the first half they were very good they're just so weak at the back they've got some of the worst defenders I've seen in recent memory in the Premier League and I think that's their biggest issue I also mentioned that in their recent game against Norwich if Patrick Bamford starts they'll win um they did. They left it late, but they did win against Norwich. And that was a massive result for them last time out. I think that effectively condemns Norwich to relegation whilst taking three points off of a rival is obviously a huge boost for Leeds United. I think the problem with Leeds at the moment is they're on 26 points. They're two places above the relegation zone. Um, they're four points ahead of Watford. Um, the only thing that they can hope for is that Watford don't win any more games. They continue to pick up points in Everton because they've got two games in hand, Everton also kind of stutter and don't win any more games. I don't think they're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, still very much in a relegation battle. Their goal difference is minus 34. Only Norwich have a worse goal difference. And it is miles worse than Everton, miles worse than Watford and miles worse than Burnley. So Leeds will need to hope that they do have more points on the board at the end of the season, because if it comes to a goal difference situation, they're down. They're, honestly, their defence has been absolutely shocking. So we know Jesse Marsh is a good coach. That, Like I say, that first half against Aston Villa, I, I kind of saw what Marsh was trying to do, but the defensive side of things just let them down again. And that's been the problem. Um, they just need to hope that Bamford and 
uh, Rafinha and Rodrigo and these other players can start finding the net. It sounds such a simple thing to do, but if they're going to concede two or three every game, they just need to hope that whoever's starting up front or playing at the top end of the pitch needs to take their chances because if they don't and it comes down to a goal difference situation to divide teams between who stays up and who goes down at the end of the term, then I fear for Leeds because that, that goal difference is absolutely awful. Yes, Marsh is a, is a well-respected coach. He did very well at Salzburg, brought through some excellent players who we see in the Premier League now. Pats and Dakus at Leicester now flourished under Jesse Marsh for Red Bull Salzburg last season. But the key for me is he has to tighten up that Leeds defence. Um, I know people have said that uh, Liam Cooper's been injured, so that's a big problem for Leeds. He's, I mean, come on. If Liam Cooper's <laughs> the answer to your, your problems, that they need better Liam defenders. Liam Cooper was, was at Leeds when I was working for Leeds uh, a few years ago, um, and he, he wasn't particularly good then. I think he's, he's one of them players who's more of a leader than than a, an amazing footballer. Um, he's better than what they've had, though. That's the that's the thing, isn't it? And you like talk about those players. I said the best defender Leeds have had in the past 10 years is Sol Bamba, by an absolute mile. Um but you know, he was. I think he was well in when well in his thirties when he ended up leaving Leeds. So, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've spent money on them as well. Leeds, they've, they've spent money on defenders. Lorente is, is unreliable. Like he's he's never fit. Uh, Robin Cox's been uh, similarly injured as well. And you know, you want your centre backs to be available for thirty eight games a season. They're meant to be the tough guys of the team, unless they break a leg like Fafana did. You know, you want them fit every week. You don't want them going down with a frigging calf injury and. Oh, sorry, sorry, Gaffer, I can't play this weekend. Like, I mean, I think Furpo, I think he's been shocking. I genuinely think he's been an awful signing. So, you know, you can't always get your signings right. And it's not easy for a club like Leeds, who, are, who were, when Bielsa was there, trying to buy players who could fit into a certain style. Whether that changes now with Jesse Marsh, I'd be really interested to see. But we probably won't see any um, product of that until the summer, at the very least. I think Leeds will just about be okay, just... Um, in terms of Premier League survival, but they need better players, and in particular, they need better defenders because they can't keep conceding 60-odd goals a Premier League season because they'll be down next year if they do. When you talk about those injuries, Marley, and the players that have been missing, a couple back today, Calvin Phillips, Leon Cooper, should be available for this game versus Wolves. Patrick Bamford came back last week against Norwich. He went off injured in that game, and he's 50-50 for this game tonight. He may make it, he may not. If Leeds hadn't had those issues with injuries, and they have had huge issues with the players that have been available, would they be in the same trouble? Would they still be at the wrong end of the table? Or do you think they would have maybe built on what they did last season? Or was it just the end of Bielsa's reign? Was it just the, the style of his play? We talk about cycles all the time. Was it just reaching the end of that cycle? No, I, I don't think it was the end of the cycle or, or any, anything like that. I just think it was the injuries have been the number one thing for Leeds this season. Um, I, don't, I don't see how the same style of play from one season to another can go drastically wrong over the over the course of the summer I know teams get used to playing you um but the way they play is you know I mean Leeds played well under Bielsa sorry they, they played very unique system where it was basically man for man all over the pitch um I mean the first season people were were surprised by it um and in the second season maybe not so much but you still, you know, if they were winning all those one-on-one battles in the first season and then they're losing them in the second season, I don't see how they can lose them week after week after week to get them in the trouble that they're in now. Um, so I, I, I do think it was the injuries that, that that affected them a little bit and maybe a bit of complacency at some point in the season. With, you know, 
coming on the in, into that sort of um, mentality of yeah, well we were all right last season, so we'll be all right this season. It's not not much to worry about, and then they get beat week in week out again, and concede six to Liverpool and seven to City and and, and things like that. So, um, I think that you can't really look at Leeds this season without thinking about the injuries and Calvin Phillips is the most important player in, in Leeds' squad by an absolute mile um, because he's way, way better than anyone else they've got. He's twice as good a player as anyone they've got in, in midfield. Click and um, Robin, Robin Cock when he plays I just there. think in the squad, Marley, I think he's twice as good as any other players they've got. He probably is. Um, in terms of ability, yeah, he's, he's, he's up there with Rafinha but in terms of importance, he's, he's probably... Yeah, when, when someone's in the middle of the field, you know... And everything pretty much goes through him. I think, yeah, the you, yeah, you probably got a point there with with how uh, important he is. So, yeah, he's been a massive loss, but with you know he's, he's back now, and Leeds will need him big time to to pull themselves out of this little mire, especially with Everton winning last night, and you know Watford sort of winning last week as well, and maybe riding a bit of confidence. They need something something pretty quickly, and they need Calvin Phillips to do that for them. Well, that is your Friday night Premier League action. If you want to watch Wolves beat Leeds 1-0, it kicks off at 8 o'clock tonight. (laughs) We're going to talk about some of the other games coming up this weekend in the Premier League next with Who Knows Wins. Stay there. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the final bit of Friday's Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show, looking ahead to three picks of the weekend's action. Now, these three picks all feature in the Pick 10 League in the Who Knows Wins app. It's the game that we all play at Football Social Daily every day. We play against our mates, families, colleagues, and try and get a bit of the prize pot that is up for grabs, the Pick 10 prize pot, £6,000 jackpot, if you can predict more results right than any of the other people that are playing the league. You don't have to get all 10, just to get more than everyone else, and then it kind of trickles down. If you get four, you win a bit of cash. If you get three, you might win a little bit of cash, etc, etc, etc. We're doing it. We're going to find out how Niall and Marley are seeing a couple of key games shortly, but if you want to play along, you can get the app. Who knows wins? Find it in the App Store or in Google play over two million quid ones so far and there's guaranteed winners every single day as well so the three picks i've picked out of the pick 10 league today lads we're going to start with an fa cup game actually because there's not that many premier league games going on this weekend middlesbrough versus chelsea in the FA Cup. Now, again, the headline here isn't about what's going to happen on the pitch. It's about Chelsea's request and Borough's response to that request to have the game played behind closed doors for the integrity of the sport, Niall. What did you make to those requests? Yeah, they're nonsense, aren't they? load of rubbish from Chelsea. Yes. And Correct. I'm glad that they've <laughs> withdrawn their request um and i think the fa within about three hours of putting it in i think yeah and i think the fa almost had to go listen lads what are you doing um i think the fa almost prompted them to withdraw that request Uh, it it makes me wonder who's running things at chelsea at the moment i know roman abramovich said about three weeks ago that he was handing over the stewardship of chelsea to the trustees while he tries to find a buyer um so who's actually running the club Who, who came up with the idea for that to be sent out as a statement because there's no doubt Thomas Tuchel and the players had nothing to do with it. They probably didn't even know. Probably the first that Thomas Tuchel heard of it 
was when the statement was released. And, you know, if Chelsea fans are at, the, at the moment are concerned that everyone seems to be attacking them and they feel a bit sorry for themselves, they just make it worse for themselves as a club sometimes. I mean, what's that statement all about? I mean, they, they've become, you know, the sympathy levels uh, dipped very significantly for a lot of people after that statement. Um trying to drag Middlesbrough into it. It's nothing to do with them. So it's a nonsense decision and I'm glad it's been revoked. I mean, we don't often see uh, full partisan stadiums with um, a solely home crowd. It's a very English thing to have away fans. In Spanish football and German football, you don't actually tend to get that many away supporters, particularly in Spain. You're lucky to get 50 or 100 away fans go to matches. It's just the way it is in Spanish football. Um, But not in this country. We seem to follow our clubs up and down the land as as many people listening to this podcast will be familiar with. But I just think, in general, these are top-class players that Chelsea have got. I'm sure that they won't be too fussed that for one game against the championship side, they won't have the Chelsea fans behind them. I'm sure they'll be all right. But yeah, nonsense statement, wasn't it? Borough have had a pretty good record in this competition so far, Marley. They knocked out Manchester United. They knocked out Spurs. Could they see another Premier League team knocked out at the hand of Borough today? Tomorrow, sorry. Um, I I can't see it. I think this is should be the end of the road for Middlesbrough, to be honest. But Chelsea haven't looked amazing um, in recent weeks or in in uh, cup competitions either, really. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's one step too far, to be honest. I think the uh, the the crowd thing makes gives it a little bit more of a another sort of dimension to the game with uh, with it all being home fans. Basically, they'll be. Um, I don't know how many Chelsea fans they ended up with in the end. Is it is it none or is it two hundred and fifty? Is think. it yeah? So, I mean yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, with thirty thousand and then two hundred and fifty <laughs> opposing them, that'll be quite funny. But it'd be very weird if Chelsea score because um, you barely hear a thing. But yeah, it's um, I I can't see anything with anything happening with Middlesbrough but I said that against against Man United in the last round I think and what well, a couple of rounds ago and I probably said it as well against Tottenham so the the cup winners uh, sorry the giant cup killers are um it's, it's 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 a free hit really isn't it really no one expects Middlesbrough to win so you know go for it crack on try and try and turn them over like it's a revenge for the 97 league cup final I've got to say, I've gone for Borough in my picks for this one. I just fancy a little bit of an upset. And you've got to look for the differentials in this kind of game. Are you both going Chelsea? You say this every week. You say, you're yeah. terrible. It's why I did so badly, probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are you both going Jim, Chelsea be a for sheep. Be a sheep for one week. <laughs> Don't say that because he'll walk away with six grand. Are you, are you going Chelsea for the win? Uh, I'll ask again I'm going, I'm going Chelsea. I'm going okay. Chelsea. Niall? Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, if Chelsea, if Chelsea play... At 75% of what they're capable of, they'll beat Middlesbrough. If they don't, then Middlesbrough might get a result, but I'm still back in Chelsea. Right, Leicester versus Brentford next. Now, Brentford looking to make it three wins in a row in the Premier League. Their recent form's been pretty decent, Niall. Enough to allay those relegation fears next, or do they need a couple more wins on the board? Yeah, I fancy uh, Manella Indo in the 3.30. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong sport. Hang on, looking at the wrong... (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, uh, Leicester City, they should beat Brentford. They've got better players and they're a better team than Brentford. They've got a better manager than Brentford and that's no disrespect to the Bees. I just think that that that's the way it is. However, we know football matches aren't played on paper and... If you look at the fixtures that Leicester have got coming up, I think they've got Crystal Palace. I think they've got Everton and Manchester United as I think that's their next three games after this one with Brentford. And it's almost like you're tossing a coin 
you're flipping a coin to see whether Leicester will win or not. And that's the inconsistency that we've spoken about on this podcast before. It feels like that is the um, the way things have gone this season for them. So I fancy them to beat Brentford. I really do. I think that, you know, the, the, the progression through to the quarterfinals of the Europa Conference will, will do good for their confidence. The return of um, Wesley Fofana will do good for their confidence. Jamie Vardy might possibly be back, but we're not 100% sure on that one. Um, I think that will be the only the only problem. I think Ivan Tony is in very good form at the moment. I think he scored five goals in his last two games. Uh, I think Tony up against the Leicester defence will be an interesting one. But also, if Vardy doesn't make it, Patson Daka wasn't in the squad for the Europa Conference League game against Rennes, so maybe he's injured. We don't know 100% what's going on there. So who do Leicester play up front? Do they play without a striker? Do they play Harvey Barnes through the middle? Do they change the system up a bit? So a few question marks, but for me, I'm going to back Leicester City here. I think the confidence that they've picked up from Thursday's win um, against Ren in the Europa Conference will be enough for them to uh, to go into this one with a bit of belief and they should beat Brentford for me. So Leicester win. Given the growing importance of the Europa League and Leicester season, I do wonder how that will affect Brendan Rodgers' selection going forward. Like As those games become more significant, how much focus is there going to be on the Premier League, how much on the Europa? Because you look at Leicester's league position, it doesn't really matter what they do between now and the end of the season. They're going to finish roughly mid-table. It doesn't really make a difference. How do you see this one going, Marley? Who's your winner from Leicester versus Brentford? Well, if Leicester are uh, focusing on the Europa League, then they've got a problem because they're in the Conference League, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I I'm probably on the on the Leicester um prediction here I think Brentford are, have have done alright in the last couple of weeks they've won a couple of of must win games um but Leicester like I said that they they are a better team the only thing that would maybe make me think about Brentford more is that um you know the Thursday night game for for, for Leicester you know the the slightly um rotated team that they're gonna have to put out they didn't have it easy against Ren. they had to you know properly push for for both both games you know 180 minutes of of really competitive football so um yeah i think with with that i think that that creates an interesting dynamic because i think if both teams are coming into this with the first first game in in six days or whatever it, it, it usually is uh i'd back leicester all all day but um with them not being amazing recently, I'm just starting to think can can Brentford ride that sort of high of, of the last two wins and, and nick something. Right, final game from this trio of picks. We've got Tottenham versus West Ham, a London derby, and Spurs have had some recent results of late Nile. Have we been sucked into thinking this is a crisis club by Conte? Was there actually no problem at all and he was just trying to focus the media somewhere or get a rise out of his players because you look at their league position there's nothing to worry about you look at how they're playing on the pitch bar a couple of dodgy results there's not really anything to worry about yeah they're not a crisis club they're just Tottenham they're doing what Tottenham do they'll win a few and lose a few they're not they're not a crisis club at all I think it might be a crisis in Antonio Conte's mind because as he's mentioned millions of times in press conferences and interviews he's used to managing teams that win leagues and not vying for fourth spot. That's not something he's used to. And I don't think he means that in a disrespectful way to Tottenham. I just think it is the reality of the situation. He's far more used to having a team full of players who are competing at the top end of the table. And when I say top end, I don't mean top six. I mean top one and two. This is the guy's pedigree. I think that in terms of it being a crisis club, that's unfair. Um, They're more than capable of beating West Ham United. And 
Um, I think West Ham have dipped in form ever so slightly and, you know, kind of akin to what Marley just said about Leicester having a Thursday night game. Will the emotion of the game against Sevilla, will that suck a bit of energy out of West Ham? You'd think not. If you're a Hammers supporter, you'd think that that would do the opposite and galvanise them against the Spurs team, who are still well within a shout of finishing in the top four. Um, You know, beating Brighton midweek with Harry Kane scoring and uh, Arsenal losing to Liverpool on the same night, that, that really kind of... Um, pepped Spurs enthusiasm a little bit when it comes to possibly finishing in the Champions League spots this season because if Arsenal don't um, make the most of the the extra games that they've got and Tottenham continue to to pick up results in a positive fashion there's nothing to say that Spurs couldn't overtake them at some point between now and the end of the season obviously it's all if buts and maybes which is why the Premier League's become so exciting as we head into the running but yeah I don't think Tottenham are a, a crisis club and I think you know if if Harry Kane fancies it, if Son fancies it, they'll have too much for West Ham. Um, but then again, West Ham, I think, have got more spirit than Tottenham. And it's it's a hard one to gauge this. I just think as a unit, West Ham are a little bit more um, together, if that makes sense. And I feel like there's less frailty in, in West Ham United squad. And as a team unit, I feel like they're more likely to achieve um, a result through pure bloody mindedness. Whereas Tottenham Hotspur, it feels like when the going gets tough, sometimes they can unravel a little bit, despite the fact they've got more quality man for man. So that's one worth watching out for, I think. Um, it's almost like sort of the, the talent versus the heart, which one's going to win. Um, I fancy the talent on this occasion, and by that I mean Tottenham. Um, I, th- I think they'll... I think they have too much for West Ham this weekend. There does seem to be an issue with Tottenham at the moment where they play well when Harry Kane plays well. I don't know which way round it is at the moment. I don't know whether a good Harry Kane on form inspires Tottenham or whether Harry Kane needs the rest of Tottenham playing well to kind of find those goals. But there does seem to be some symbiosis between those two. I'm not going to back anything other than a West Ham win here purely because of my club loyalties. But I think one of the things that does work in Tottenham's favour, Marley, is the scheduling of this game. Playing a London derby on a Saturday after going into extra time against Sevilla on Thursday night. It feels harsh on West Ham, that. I don't understand why this game isn't being played on the Sunday. Oof, I don't know, mate. I've long given up the understanding the scheduling of the uh, of the Premier League. But, yeah, that that is a huge disadvantage, to be fair, because, you know, similar to, like I said about Leicester, you know, um, you've, played, you've played on a Thursday night and you've had an extra half an hour of football. So, yeah, that's uh, that's silly for me, but... That's that. That's the reason why I'm just about backing Tottenham to win this because they played. Was it two days earlier? They played. They play on Tuesday night uh, or Wednesday night, um, and yeah, you know they, they they won pretty comfortably. It wasn't that much of a workout against Brighton. It wasn't, you know, like they didn't have to work massively hard to win it. Um, Kane scoring, you know, been playing quite well. They seem to get in the the team a bit more settled. Um, and normally I would I would go for a draw between these two, but because of that fixture scheduling, I would uh, just about back um, Spurs to win it. Well, there we go. I think I've picked the exact opposite results for, on every fixture to you guys have, which means I could be on for a zero score for the first time ever on who knows wins. That's not like it. It would only be marginally worse than normal, to be fair. If you want to play alongside us, you can get the Who Knows Wins app. Find it in the App Store or find it in Google Play. You can get it there. Take us on, see if you can beat us to that six grand prize fund by picking your 10 from the Premier League action. Also, loads of other different games you can play and sports you can bet on and leagues you can take part in. Get the app, have a look, have a poke around and have a play as well. Get yourself some cash. But that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for contributing, Niall and Marley. 
No problem. Have a good weekend. No worries. Enjoy your weekend of football action and we'll see you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.